what's going on, you filthy animals? Welcome back to another episode of the Wall Street Junkie podcast. This episode, I brought on Frank Scappatici, one of the founders of Grayline Investments, and he is a virtual real estate investor. A little bit of his background, he went to West Point, he played football with his now business partner, and he, before starting Grayline Investments, worked for JP Morgan in the investment world, and now he is a full-time entrepreneur and real estate investor, and it's all centered around virtual real estate investing, right? He and his partner live in the East Coast, but most of the markets they make and invest in are in Texas, Oklahoma, most of the South and Midwest. So with that, you know, great episode, great information on not only real estate investing, but how they were able to scale their business virtually. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Okay, I think I got you. Okay, can you hear me all right? Yeah, actually, you're coming in really good. How am I coming in? Sounding fantastic, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Frank. Is it just you or is your partner on as well? I didn't even know you knew I had a partner, but no, he's not going to make it. He actually, uh, he's in Puerto Rico right now oh, okay. on vacation, so it's just me. Oh, yeah, I read up on your guys' uh, website, so, you know, I saw you guys, what, met at uh, West Point? Yeah, we were um, we're actually both playing football. We were teammates. Uh, okay. We actually played the same position, linebackers, and uh, yeah, man, we caught up this year. Nice. Awesome. So how long have you guys been doing real estate for? Is this your full-time job or what? Yeah, I quit my W-2. I worked at J.P. Morgan. Um, okay. I quit. Last day was actually the last day of 2020. I quit. He just dropped his paperwork to get out of the Army. So we're we're essentially both full-time because you're a vet. You you get it. Like when someone's ready to ETS, like, you <laughs> know, they get a couple of months of doing nothing, right? So that's oh, what yeah. he's kind of getting at. And um, we uh, we started Grayline February of last year, but we didn't really make a dollar till about April. So we're like 13 months old. Okay. But scaling, uh, it's, we're going pretty fast. Good. And But I've, I've owned rentals for a few years. John, my partner's owned rentals for longer, you know. Okay. Um, so we have exposure to real estate, but we didn't really go hard until 2020, you know. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What did you do at JP when you, you know, as, uh, as your W-2 job? I was kind of like one of those strategy consultant people um, okay. looking back on it, like leeching off of the financial services economy, which is probably why I didn't like it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Um, I was a consultant by trade and, okay. uh, you know, I was dragged in and I'll, that, we, I I don't know if we'll get into it or not, but I, I was basically like, you know, this ain't it. Um, yep. That was and, me uh, too. You know, I just wasn't fulfilled by it. Um, wasn't really enamored by my leadership um, at JP. It's just not inspiring work. And, uh, you know, I was like, fuck it. Let's try to start a company. And, uh, <laughs> yes. You know, three, four months in, we were like, oh, shit, I think this is going to work. We started hiring people. Okay. And then I, you know, quit my job. So that's me. Yeah, that that sounds very similar to me. I was trade mortgage-backed securities for a bank. And then, what, uh, end of 2020, kind of similar to you. I think back last November, I said, no, I'm fuck it. I'm gone. Um, and just moved back to California. Now I'm doing real estate similar to you. Um, I'm a realtor and a broker at my own family brokerage and we do the same kind of real estate investing as well. Okay. Are you guys primarily doing like what asset class are you guys focused in? Right now we're super bullish on the single family. So, you know, as a family, we own about 20 um, rentals across uh, Northern California. 
just single nice. family. But we have a yeah. we have an apartment as well. But uh, what about you guys? What's uh, what's your focus? We're we're all single family uh, for the okay. most part. Like once in a while, we'll get a small multi, you know, quad or duplex or something. But um, yeah, I, I we probably put over a hundred houses under contract in the last thirteen months. Actually, okay. definitely. And uh, I think two of them are multifamily. You know, so it's it's pretty much exclusive single family, and we focus mostly in uh, like landlord style cities. Okay. You know, uh, where right. the rents and uh, to price ratio tends to make sense. Yep. Um, and we can get into why, I guess, on the... I, I don't know if we're live or not. Are, are oh, we, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, we are? I, oh, oh yeah. Shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're um, good to go, baby. <laughs> let's do it, man. All right, so... You don't, we, uh, you don't have to watch your mouth, by the way. If you, you know, you could go unfiltered. You know, it's, it's freedom. It's authenticity. You be you. Yeah. I, I, well, I've already cursed twice, so... <laughs> it's all I'm good, glad, man. I'm glad I'm in the rules. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we focus on single family, and we like landlord style cities for a couple reasons one originally when we started this we were like well the real estate market's super hot no one knows when the bottom's going to drop out we all had that like silly fear right that supply and demand wasn't gonna keep us uh, moving forward with appreciation so we're like hey if we get houses at a discount in cities like college station tyler texas colleen texas lawton oklahoma um then you know worst case scenario if we're trying to flip the house we can we can rent it out Right, like sure. you can always refine cash flow those houses, so it's somewhat of a risk adverse approach to single family. Um, and uh, but the thing we learned that actually kind of makes our business run is if you're a flipper or wholesaler and you're trying to go to direct to seller and acquire houses, we found that the best person to actually acquire a single family house from is another landlord. Yep, um, we call them tired landlords in our industry, mm-hmm. and uh. There's a couple of reasons why. There's one phrase where, I don't know who said it, but they said, if you ask a landlord to sell their house on the right day of the year, any landlord will say yes, right? Like Absolutely. Anyone who's, yeah, so I don't know if you've ever had an eviction or a squatter, but dude, I, if someone calls I, you. Oh, yeah. I, oh, absolutely, man. You always have those. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. then um, you think about like the other reasons why someone would give away their house at a discount. And when I say discount... Generally, wholesalers and flippers in landlord type markets are trying to buy it for 70 cents on the dollar, meaning right. 70% of the ARV minus rehab costs. That's yep. the generally the math equation. Sometimes in our market, you might go to 75 because the market's hot, but generally in a landlord city, that's where you want to be. Um, so you have some margin for safety. Yep. But you know, the, the primary residence owner that lets you get the house at a discount has a divorce, has a tax lien, yep. you know. Has something, right? That's there's some motivator to get them out of the house. It's all distress type situations. Distressed, right? Yep. And that's that's five to ten percent of the U.S. housing is in distress at any point in time. It really right now, is, yeah. That's that's a fact, you know. In 08, it might be closer to ten. In 2016, probably closer to five. But dude, that's that's where it is. And that's a lot, and, man. That's a lot of. There's a lot of market to be made out there, but you just got to do the legwork. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, it's a lot of work to get all these deals. Um. So but, are you um, flipping okay. the, or I mean, what? Do you, so what's your role? Are you wholesaling them? Or are you holding them yourself? Or what's what's yeah. your role in this? Yeah. So we we started like, oh, we're just going to acquire rentals, and then we were successful in finding deals, and we're like, all right, let's wholesale, let's get some money, you know, so we can hire people. So we did that for a couple of months. Um, in twenty twenty, we we probably wholesaled seventy five percent of the houses and flipped twenty five. Okay. Um, but that ratio is changing. We're trying to flip more of them. Um, reason being is 
we looked at the numbers and we looked at all the flips we did last year and we decided we weren't being aggressive enough, right? Like we did, I don't know how many flips we did, 15 houses or something like that. And, you know, knock on wood, we didn't lose money on any of them. And we, you know, we made significantly more um, than we did in an average wholesale deal for a fee. Sure. So we're, um, you know, there's a phrase, I don't know if it was Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger who said it, but it's like, you know, when it's raining gold outside, don't go outside with a coffee mug, right? Go out with a bucket, you know? <laughs> so like, absolutely. You know, we're, we continue to raise or uh, underwrite our deals with some level of, um, you know, being conservative. But once we make a decision, be aggressive and a more aggressive form of profiting on a deal is is flipping it. So we, we're primarily becoming a flipper. And are you, um, so what, how are you finding a lot of these deals? What resources are you guys using? Yeah. So we do direct to seller marketing. And okay. in our case, that yep. means um, cold calling. And SMS text message. We, we also just started reinvesting in uh, Google ads or PPC, pay-per-click. Yep. Um, for anyone listening that's not familiar, it's like you type in sell my house fast into Google and an ad pops up. Like my company, Grayline, could pop up depending on your location, right? That's PPC. Gotcha. Um, so, but most of our deals are outbound marketing. So SMS yep. and cold calling. In 2020, every, you know, every wholesaler could could blast out 10,000 text messages a day and talk to a seller. Um, mm -hmm. That's been heavily restricted by Verizon, AT&T, and the other carriers. So you're seeing most people in our space that were reliant on cold calling add in other marketing channels, and right. we're no different. So okay. we, now, we basically have a call center in the Philippines. Do you really? Um, yeah, like literally, we, we went from <laughs> zero awesome. to 12 people in uh, the Philippines, Pakistan, and... Um, El Salvador. We have one guy in El Salvador for because we're in Texas and we need Spanish speaking. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, so you know we we realized like if we don't get ahead of the curve because the one constant in direct to seller marketing or really marketing in general is change, right? Right. Like it's always going to change. So we we looked at ourselves and said, hey, if we want our company to last, we can't be completely reliant on one channel. So sure. we decided to to add a call a call center. Okay. And. Uh, you know, we went from zero to 60 pretty quick, learned a lot of lessons, wasn't perfect, but you know, we got to get deals, man. <laughs> so, I love it. That's what we're going to do. You know, I, it's funny you mentioned call station because I don't know if you know, I went to Texas A&M. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. So I lived out there for quite some time. So uh, it's it's good. So the real estate market out there is pretty hot. You you like it out there? Super hot. I yeah. think um, it's hard to find a place in Texas that isn't experiencing like population growth. Or some type of price appreciation. Sure. Even, um, I mean, Elon Musk was talking about Brownsville or in, like oh, the McAllen area. <laughs> yeah. So that market's now hot, right? Like these oh, are cities God. that these are you know there these are cities where if you polled your average single family real estate investor three years ago, they would have no idea where this is in the map. And just for for reference, this is literally the southeastern tip. Of Texas. This like, is you the border. Closer. <laughs> it's the border. Like you could throw a rock and hit you know, someone's house in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. And, but now like, you know, it seems like anything in Texas can sell as long as there's some population, like really any town with over, you know, 50,000 people in it is, is experiencing appreciation right now. So we're trying to capture some of that. So we're, we're really bullish on Texas and uh, Florida. Okay. What um oh what about Florida? What are you seeing there? What uh, what areas are you going into? It's um we had some success in the Cape Coral uh, area, Pensacola. Yep. Is a is a Pensacola's been 
huge a monster for us right now um we are the our cycle is we're probably going to focus most of our direct seller marketing on texas um for q2 and q3 and re-engage florida in q4 and the reason being is because we're calling people direct like you can't like beat up the numbers too much like i can't call a seller 14 times in a week right so you have to like rotate who you call but anyway right we had we had people that for whatever reason we reached out to and late 2020 and all of a sudden all these people in pensacola started selling us their houses i don't know i actually don't know why but pensacola has been an incredible market um i think we bought five houses there really in the last 40 days and you know we, we're not even really marketing there right now it's all like residual um it's all residual stuff from, that we did in 2020 that we're now realizing the benefits so okay. I, I love pensacola it's my favorite market right now you know, so when you're doing these flips, do you have contract a general contractor you trust, or how does that work for you guys specifically? That, yeah. So our hypothesis is because I live in New York, I, I live in 30 minutes outside Manhattan. Okay. And my partner lives by West Point, and um, oh, wow. our other two stateside employees live in Wisconsin and Virginia, <laughs> but we're buying in Florida and Texas. Well, okay, so, I love it. So our hypothesis is if we get it at the right price, and I'm you know, we can, we can monetize a house no matter where it is, Okay. especially if we keep it in the price points we're at, cause our risk is a little bit lower. Um, yeah. cause most of our houses are 250 grand and less yeah. basically dude, we're like the McDonald's of what we do. Like hey, we're not serving okay. filet mignon. We're flipping dollar cheeseburgers, right? <laughs> uh, I, that's a great analogy. <laughs> that, that's what we are, man. Like if, when I do a flip, I find a contractor I can trust, yeah. which I'll usually the first flip I do in a market, it'll be something light. Like, um, mm, okay. we call it a whole tail, right? Where we buy the house. It needs maybe light cosmetic work, like the HVAC, the roof, sure. the, uh, the major, major components of a home are in good shape. Maybe it's a 10 grand rehab and we'll try to flip that. Okay. Right. And then we'll ramp up our risk based on the performance of our contractor. Or our contractor. Yeah. 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 So in some markets we'll be more aggressive than others. Like in Tyler, I have a great Tyler, Texas. Yep. I have a great contractor. I have a great one in Oklahoma and I have a great one in Colleen, an hour outside of Austin. Yep. So like if I have a 50 grand job or rehab, I'll do it. Mm. But in other cities like Cape Coral, I don't have a good contractor. So I'm looking for homes with light cosmetic work where I'm really winning the deal on the front end, meaning during the price negotiation right. with the seller. We're trying to force the appreciation on the front mm. if I can't force it on the back. Sure. So that's how I look at it. Okay. Well, have you looked at any other markets? You you feeling uh what about California? Are you gonna come over here, man? Dude, it's funny. Um, there's a big wholesaler, Nick Perry, who uh I've met a couple times, and um he's been talking about California. It's it's weird. There's massive price appreciation in some of the burbs. Yes. But there's like this simultaneous like increase in distressed housing, right? 100%. Particularly amongst landlords. Right. So it's just really like it's it's hard. Like I I'd be a little scared to flip in California, um, because just like some parts of New York, like I feel like there might be a little bit of an imbalance. Like when I look at Texas, for example, supply and demand makes sense. Like the supply is limited everywhere that matters, right? Right. But when I look at a city like um, like the, the suburbs outside San Fran or the suburbs outside Manhattan, mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, like the suburbs appreciation's going nuts. Houses are going up. Six to eight percent a year in the yes. burbs outside the city, maybe more, right? And yeah. people are like, "Oh, supply is so limited." If you go on Zillow and you live 
30 minutes outside of San Francisco and you look at the area around your house, if you live there, there's probably no houses on the market. Mm -hmm. There's no supply, right? Right. And people say supply is low. But I know in my case, I'm like, hey, New York City is the mecca of of New York and there is definitely supply, Yeah. right? So when I see the price per square foot mm. of a house in the burbs get close to that price per square foot of a house in Manhattan, even if it's in like the Upper West Side or Upper East Side or a less desirable area, I feel like that doesn't make sense. So I am a little scared okay. to uh, take my flipping operation to New York or California, depending on the market, obviously, but those things do scare me. That makes sense. That makes sense. What other whatever other things you guys have on the horizon that you're really working towards as a goal for 2021? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, we have our offsite next week and I we're playing with uh, the goals in our business. We had revenue goals in the past. Like we, we had a goal to get a million dollars in revenue okay. in Q2. Uh, we're not going to hit it. Um, sure. We're pretty far into Q2. We're going to make a good dent, but we're not going to get there. And I think for a real estate business, particularly if you're flipping houses, I want to have goals that speak to both sides of our business. And what I mean by is this, we have an acquisition arm of our business mm -hmm. and we have a contract to close part of our business. Our acquisition arm finds houses, our contract right. to close team monetizes the houses. Sure. They wholesale them or they flip them. And I want to make our goals more specific. So what I think I want to do is have our acquisition goal be 20 houses a month, which we've done before. So I know we can do it. Uh, but I want our contract to close team's goals to be something like, hey, we close 70% or more of all the deals that hit our desk okay. and we make an average of 15 grand per deal and that's wholesale or flip. Right. And um, we're, we're young enough where we haven't really been measuring ourselves that long. Sure. So like, like, I feel like the back half of our business, we weren't um, measuring properly. So I guess the message for anyone listening is like, if you have two front offices or two revenue generating parts of your company, um, I learned that making one blanket goal is good but each parts of those business need their own specific goal and marching orders to work towards. And I think that was an oversight we had in the past and something we're working towards now. Okay. So how long, so for a typical deal, how long is the cycle for you guys? Is it three or four months to, um, you know, to acquire it and then flip it on the back end? It'd be faster than that. I'd say, um, you know, I'd say the average, I don't have that in front of me, but the average time to turn over a home that's been purchased. Yeah. Probably closer to 50 days. Oh, okay. 50 days. And just because some of the homes we get um, are already in decent condition. Right. Um, you know, prior to us taking it over. So we get in there, do some light cosmetic work, try to list it as fast as possible and uh, get rid of it. Now, are any of you guys agents or brokers or do you, uh, you know, send it all to another uh, realtor that you trust? We, we'll use agents on the ground. Yeah. Um, one of the downsides of our business is that we aren't local, so we don't live right in any of the areas where we buy houses. So we do have to rely on agents to to do the marketing. It just wouldn't be very efficient for me to try to market homes in in seven different cities or have someone on my team do it. So yeah. we, we just pay the commissions. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, have you guys thought about doing any like podcast, social media? What what uh what are you guys doing on that front? Yeah, man, we um. We're trying to be a little aggressive there. We we started a podcast, I don't know, two and a half months ago, maybe. Okay. It's called uh, the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. Okay. And I'll have to um, check it out. Yeah, man, check it out. It's it's still small. I think we're about to hit a thousand downloads, which nice. is you know, you know, it's it feels good for spending no money. Yeah, good um, for you guys. Yeah, and uh, I enjoy it. It's it's me and my partner. We typically interview people 
um, that are in the real estate industry. We try to get people that are doing things remotely because, again, like our hypothesis is um, that you can um, operate in the real estate space out of market. I think um, I think people f- assume that by being in the city you're flipping in, that you're getting more efficiency than you really get. And uh, I, I would challenge anyone that's flipped houses at volume. Once someone flips like 10, 20 houses, how often are they really going to the job site? Right? Right. <laughs> like, they're not, right? So so that's that's just one thought I have. So we want to share with people what we learned and how we do it. Okay. So we, we tend to just give all our secrets away um, yeah. for free because in the real estate space, there's a lot of gurus and <laughs> charging for their education. And we kind of are like, anti-guru in our approach so we just we just share it free 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 yep and try to give value you know i love it that's that's exactly been my approach to you know because i do you know stocks real estate all that and i've just noticed recently you know my shit started to blow up just because you're authentic and you don't try and push courses down people's freaking throats and if you do those two things you're bound to be probably pretty successful yeah man i, I love your stuff by the way i do actually <laughs> follow all your shit um i appreciate it man the uh, I agree, man. This is the problem. We actually did. We were thinking about starting a course, and we had three students in March, and we made a little bit of money from it. We didn't charge a lot, but our students killed it. Like we had one of our students fl- um, flipped four houses nice. or got four contracts while we were in the course, like before. I mean, it was only six weeks long. Okay. So we were like, we knew we could do it, but I feel like the ine- the unfortunate path that a guru follows is. The guru money tends to be easier in real estate, I think, over time. Sure. And then they start valuing guru life over real estate. Then they start they stop learning about real estate and then they eventually become a fake guru. Right? Ah, that makes and so we much like, sense, right? And we were just cause you know, you become an internet marketer. Like you 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 sound like the people that sell weight loss shakes, right? Um, <laughs> and you see the YouTube videos. Yeah, right. Um so we kind of were just like, hard stop. Let's not do that. We love real estate. Let's just be real estate operators. We have a newsletter. Like we send that out to um, all of our cash buyers. We have a podcast. Okay. We'll eventually figure out how that turns into a business. But for now, we're just going to add value. So Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to do to see how that lends itself into what I'm doing. You know, because I typically am a realtor and broker. So that's typically what I'm doing. So I'm always trying to find new ways to get clients and things like that. Yeah, man, for sure. And I'm sure you could turn it on. And charge people for your advice too, but I mean, uh, yeah, I it's know. one of those things. Well, I'm coming out with an app, and so that's my big thing. So I'm trying to build just a solid foundation. You know, I'm I'm trying to get fifty thousand followers by the end of the year. Uh, I probably get there, and when that happens, you know, I'll get like an I'm coming out with a budgeting app, and so that's kind of the goal. And it's like a dollar or two a month, but I'm trying to be as authentic and not charge anybody you know, for as long as possible you know, and, um, have as much fun doing so. There's, um, we, we've been thinking about this a lot too. There's a thought out there, right? It's because my thought is, let's say you do it to eventually monetize it, right? Like Josh, eventually, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you have kids or anything now, but eventually you're going to have kids, responsibilities. You, yep. you got to feed Josh and Josh's family, <laughs> right. right? Like eventually reality will hit. Sure. And our thought was we might have to monetize it eventually right. for it to make sense for our time. But I would rather add value to 100,000 people and then get a dollar mm-hmm. from 100,000 people than get 500 people and try to collect $10,000 from each of them. You know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. Like that, that is the Gary V free, free, free model to me or my interpretation of it in a nutshell. And that's what we opted for. 
okay. I think it takes longer. You're going to definitely delay gratification with that approach, but oh, I definitely yeah. feel better about it when I go to bed at night. So that's worth something. Yeah, I, I'm glad you kind of mentioned it because that's kind of my goal, right? I don't want to charge somebody 50, 100 bucks. You know, I I do free consultations now. I'll, I'll hop on the phone with somebody for 15 minutes just to kind of build that rapport just because I want to build that strong brand recognition, help people out too. Because I would yeah. just feel dirty taking people's money like that. Yeah. It's also, I think for, if you're a good guy or gal, you, you inherit the stress of that student or that mentee. And uh, some people are good at managing that stress. Right. And I am not, right? Like mm. if I feel like my mentee struggling, like it's, I'm thinking about it, you right. know, like Saturday night, 8 p.m., I'm trying to watch a movie and it's on my mind, right? Sure. So that's that's my own limitation. So I'm not saying you can't do it in an ethical, good way. I think I, I actually know of people that do a really great job, but I just don't know if I'm one of them, you know, so. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Are you guys in the stock market at all or what's your take on that? What do you yeah, man, I am. I um, I actually just simplified my uh, portfolio a little bit. I was getting uh, – I feel like I'm pretty conservative, but I was getting a little caught up in all the shit that's going on, right? Like <laughs> I'm pretty, like, you know, I traded a few options. I was doing really well, like everybody else who traded an option in late 2020, right? Um, <laughs> you know, or Q3. And then like I had a couple of shit ones hit and end of Q1, Q2, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, trading like val like growth stuff, like Vuzi, which is like a virtual reality glass company. Yeah. Um, you know, I was hoping Nokia would catch the AMC wave. I was doing dumb shit, right? And I was like, <laughs> all right, let's just get back to fundamentals. I I typically am an index person. Yeah. I think uh, I think right now, if I'm looking, I'm looking at my account. I have like four. I have like forty percent of my uh, E Trade account. I know I use E Trade. I'm old. I'm thirty three. No, that's yeah, okay. Like, um, <laughs> the um, in VT Sachs, right? Like index shit. And oh. then I got a couple, you know, my stocks are like DraftKings and Penn. I'm a big, like I'm a, I, I like to gamble. So I'm a big believer <laughs> in, uh, in gambling and online gambling. So I was like, I'll bet in that. I got Sony. I had some Tesla from last year. I'm holding on to. And, uh, hodl, man. Hodl. <laughs> yeah. I have some REIT stuff too. Um, just cause I wanted some dividend producing, mm -hmm. um, stocks and exposure to real estate. So, that's me. I uh, I also lend out of my SDIRA. I just um, oh actually you? on one of our deals we oh. sold the house and I lent on the house. Okay, talk to uh, me about that, man, because I know a lot of people. I've talked about the self directed IRA and I haven't yet done the lending, the hard money on that side. But can you talk to me about that process setting up that SDRI or SDIRA? Yeah. yeah so I, I'm sure most people with an IRA or 401k will will fit into kind of what I did. So I was working at JP. I had my 401k. It was doing fine. Right. But you look at it. I think my IRR was like 10 and a half or 11% over the time I was um, working in finance and yeah. I wasn't really paying attention to it. And I was like, yo, this is getting 10 or 11% in probably one of the best bull markets of my life. Yeah. You're right. Like, what the, like hell? the next time this happens, I might be dead. Right. So I was like, fuck this. Right. <laughs> I yeah. Like, I can definitely make more money than this. So especially because I literally buy houses for a living. So right. I'm like, what am I doing? So I uh, I started an SDIRA. I use Quest, which is like a pretty low fee, um, like younger SDIRA company. I don't really know if the vendor matters that much. Most vendors are probably selling you webinars. Like as long as they facilitate my, my investments, I feel good about it. Um, but um, I moved my account over 
And now I have control over my investments. I could invest in stocks. I could invest even a company, uh, but I choose to focus on real estate. So I use my SDIRA to lend to um, people that are buying houses. Yeah. Um, or I could flip a house with my SDIRA, although sure. I have not done that yet. I've been lending out of it. So um, you hard so money I'll... lend out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, it, this is how it actually went down for me. Um, I moved my money over and I was like, all right, time to place this money that I've just moved over. Um, cause it wasn't doing anything, but luckily we have enough deals coming through our business where I really could just reach out to some of our buyers and be like, yo, don't go to your hard money lender. Like I'll charge you less documentation fees and processing fees and get you a similar rate and let's go, you know? And, hmm. um, one of our buyers agreed it, the house was at a price point that I could afford to buy okay. um, in cash. And I lent him, I think I had, I think I gave him a pretty decent deal. I think I gave him 10% interest at two points at closing. Oh. Um, which is like fair. I, I like, there's people out there that are like, oh, I can get hard money at 9%. And I'm like, Bullshit. no, you can't. Um, like not, you can if you have experience, but newbies will not get 9%. Yeah. Unless it's from a really, really large um, hard money lender like Lending Home. And you've been and doing business that, for a while. Yeah. But I also find that the some of the larger players, their internal processes kind of suck. Mm. Um I've heard and that too. And there's a lot of, lot of red tape. They lose your paperwork. You got to fill shit out twice. I'm, and to me, I'm like, I'm not doing that to save $500. I mean, like, you've I'm done that it. in the military your whole life. So it's like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, you know, what is your hour worth? Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know if my company's going to take off and go big or not, but I value my hour more than $50, right? right? So if I'm only saving a small amount of money and I'm wasting hours, like I'm not doing it, you know? So um, anyway. So, and then I lend it out, you know, I got the money at close, like the actual two points. So two percentage of the total loan, two percentage points okay. was sent to my SDIRA account right away. That's all profit. And I'm getting interest only payments every month on the loan. So on a hundred thousand dollar house, that would have been two grand right at closing. And, um, on 10%, that's, you know, what is that? That's freaking about yeah. 900 bucks of mm -hmm. profit per month going into my SDIRA at that. That's not the number. I'm just making it up. Right. And, um, then, uh, and then it's, it's interest only payments. And if they don't pay, I take the house sure. right? I'm first lien position. So I foreclose on them and shit. It's, it's the house that I put under contract, right? Like right. I, I like this win -win. house. It's a win-win. So I look at that as a no way to lose situation and, uh, I'm just going to keep doing it until it stops working. You know? Now did so. you, so you lend the whole, the whole note for the entire property. I've seen it both ways where sometimes you just lend for the down. I don't know what it, your... it depends. So yeah. in this particular case i actually lent to my own general contractor they, oh. they're taking on a flip so i he's like my guy you know i trust him um so i gave him the money for material plus purchase price on the house okay uh, but but to me the um it's really all about how good is the deal and how good is the borrower right sure like there's a the way a lender i think should look at a real estate transaction is what is the resale value of that home let's say they're buying it at 100 and it's worth 150 mm -hmm. if it's fixed up, right? How much work did they say needs to get put into the house and how much exposure are you willing to have? Now, if you lend only $100,000, AKA the purchase price of that property, your exposure is probably somewhat low, right? Mm -hmm. Unless they grossly um, underestimated the rehab amount, you should be okay, right? Yep. But if you lend 150 grand and they're way off and then you have to foreclose on them, now you are underwater, mm -hmm. right? So I am never going to lend more than the current value of a house, right? Sure. Like you don't really want to do that. So I think um, you really, you should look at it as an investor. Like, are they getting this house at 80 cents in the dollar or less? If so, 
you know, maybe I can lend a little bit more. Maybe I can cover the rehab. If not, then I'm covering the purchase price. Maybe even less than that. Maybe 90% of the purchase price. All depends. So it's, how it's easy good, is the, the, the better process. deal gets more money. Better deal gets more money. Okay. How look at it. How easy is the process for, you know, lending out? Because I really want to do that. I really want to lend out of my, you know, IRA. How easy is that? It's easy, man. Like on uh, <laughs> okay. my uh, custodian yeah. quest, I fill out a form. They call me and I put them in touch with the closing company or the title company and, you know, got it done. I honestly, it's, it probably took like 20 to 30 minutes of effort on my part, but that's really not that bad to seize control of your own retirement account. And I'm only doing it once every couple months because it takes a little bit of time for the property to close. So it's, and it's not hard. Is that called, it's called Quest Trust Company, right? That's correct. Okay, yeah, because I have it up because I need to. I need to do that. So with that though, have, did you form an LLC with your SDIRA? I've heard you could. Did well, you? I, if you're supposed to, I have not done it yet. Okay, <laughs> so I'm still new to the space. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's probably shit I don't know, but I, I have not. Okay, I love it though, man. That, I'm glad you talked about it because I recently found out about it and it just turned a light bulb in on my head. I'm like, oh my god, I need to do this. Yeah, man, you could do. You could do anything, right? And imagine how I find when your time horizon is long, like AKA a retirement account, I actually make better decisions. Sure. <laughs> like like I've, I feel like I deal less in fear and less in speculation when I think long-term. So I feel like I'm actually a better investor out of my SDIRA than I am um, in the short term, which is a weird thought, but that's, that's one thing I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, isn't that, yeah, talk about this long-term versus short-term time horizon. Like, have you gotten underwater because, you know, you've adopted a short-term time horizon before? Or what's been your, your... Um... No, I, I'm lucky I've not. Okay. I um, We, in our business, the way, the equation we use to acquire houses, which I mentioned before is you know, basically 70% minus the rehab or expected rehab amount. Mm -hmm. That's our max allowable offer. And I find that if, if you stick to that rule when you're talking to sellers, you, you have to talk to a lot of sellers to get a deal at that price, but you tend to avoid losing more often than not, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're somewhat conservative in our underwriting and we try to solve for that by reaching out to a shit ton of people every month, right? Like yeah. I'm talking like 300,000 outbound messages. Like it's a lot. Oh, like, do we're you making really? Hundreds of thousands of calls. Yeah, dude. Like oh, people God. think you can talk to 20 homeowners and get a deal. And I'm here to tell you in 2021, if you are talking to 20 people and you're getting deals, it's because you're paying a higher price than someone like I am. Like okay. straight up. It's it's a volume game. Sure. And um so but because we we achieve that volume, we can, you know, we can control how much we pay. So right. we we've been fortunate to avoid a heavy loss um, to this point. Wow. What what does the marketing cost like that run you when you're talking about a hundred <laughs> what does that look like? It's, it's, it's ebbed and flowed a little bit. Um, when we first started and we were just getting like, you know, three to five deals a month, we probably only, we spent less than 10 grand for sure. Like okay. we were generally it, it costs us anywhere between like somewhere around $2,500 to get a contract. That's the math equation we've gotten to, mm, um, okay. which we can improve upon, Sure. you know? Um, but last month I think we spent with cold calling labor included. So some people, a lot of people leave out their labor numbers, but we keep it in there. It was $28,000. So that's how much we spent last month. So, I mean, yeah, over the course of a year, we're going to spend like, you know, $300,000, $400,000 oh, wow. on marketing for sure. Oh, geez. Okay. 
but ha but it worked out last year for you guys, right? Yeah, I mean, we started from zero, um, and uh, we ramped up to this point. So um, it did work out. Um, it's been bumpy along the way. We, uh, I mentioned that carriers shut us down last year, meaning we couldn't really mm -hmm. send as many text messages out. So, I mean, if we didn't pivot and add cold calling, and now we're adding PPC or Google Ads, like we would have died. Like our company would not have made it. Um, so we just have to continue to have our ear to the ground, be adaptive. Yeah. And uh, basically it's, it's a fight to find a way to have as many conversations with homeowners as possible. Mm. Like that's what this is all about. Like how many conversations can we have? Because generally one out of 20 homeowners that are interested, like we'll close them. You know, okay. if they're interested and our closer gets on the phone 20 times, we're getting a house. Like that's the math equation. So how do we make that situation happen as many times as possible? That's the business. Mm. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the volume in real estate is crucial. What are your yeah. conversion numbers? Is it like one per a thousand people you reach out to that you even get a lead or what does that look like? Shit, actually, um, I have our numbers in front of me. Ooh. I have, yeah, let me try to pull this shit up, sorry. No worries. Let me see. Let's see. April. April was an okay month. It wasn't very efficient, but we made a decent amount of money. So let me see what our numbers are. It's loading, bro. Come on. Okay. Um. So it took us. We had 368 quad leads last month uh, after we had 136,000 outbound messages. So that oh, wow. is. 369 messages to get a, a qualified lead. That includes text message. Okay. Which uh, bumps those numbers up quite a bit. Like it was over a thousand texts to get a qualified lead. And then wow. um, that gave us, what did we get? 10 contracts, mm -hmm. which really isn't very good. Like 10 out of 368 is not great. Like you want to be closer to one out of 20. One out of 20. Um, yeah. So what that means to me is we didn't have, we did a lot of for sale by owner um, last mm. two months. And we found that for sale by owners, are good leads because they're cheap to get because they're right. public data, but you tend to have to talk to more of them to close. So we waste a lot more of our closers time. Right. So last month in a nutshell, we had an okay number of contracts, but it's, we were less efficient than normal. So okay. that's uh. but those were the numbers, you know, that's, that's good. That's still a good scope. Like it on is. a normal month that would have just got us, you know, 13 contracts, let's say, right. So right. three, like our 14, but still, that's that's 135,000 people, you know? So it I guess is. one out of 1,000, right, is yeah. is actually, like, to your point, a good number. It's a good baseline. It, it, that's just helpful. And thank you for answering because it's just helpful for people to understand when they're getting in the real estate game, you have to be okay with getting told to fuck off, basically. I mean, the numbers you guys, the volume you guys have to do to be successful, you know, it, it's good to see. And it's good well, for people to wrap their head around. Well, I don't want to discourage people because what no. I just said sounds insurmountable, no, right? Yeah. Um, you get when you first start out, and like you don't have people cold calling for you, and you're just like, I was texting out of my damn cell phone, like in in between meetings, I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna just text these 300 people out of my right. own cell, which you shouldn't do, but I did it anyway. Like we were very efficient back then. I think like our first 5,000 data points or leads, we call them, um, we closed a couple contracts. Nice. But when you scale, like. You because you're not in every single conversation, right? Like right. you're not crossing every dot. You're not dotting every die, crossing every T. Right. You get a little bit less efficient. So I think someone just starting out will probably bat a higher batting average than I am. Okay. But 
to well, if you're trying to scale, you might you might sacrifice some efficiency at different points in time in your business. Right. And we're okay with that, right? So oh, absolutely. So you know, one of the questions I have to ask because I get asked this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. Are we in a real estate bubble? What are your thoughts for the next year or two? What, what are... I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're okay. I think, yeah, okay. Um, I think we're okay. I think if you're in some markets like Arizona, parts of Nevada, Florida, Texas, like, and if new construction is not going to occur because the cost of lumber, steel, and other raw materials like carpet are super yep. high, right? Yep. Then the value of the existing assets with low supply go up especially right. with low low rates which it you know it appears rates are going to stay this way for for longer you know so here's yeah here's a here's a number so tyler texas is a good city that we invest in it's like two hundred thousand people it's similar to college station in mm -hmm. terms of pricing i know tyler absolutely the the cost to build a new single family i think like 1500 2000 square foot house i forget the size is roughly 80 180 per square foot okay right if you look at the price of the homes in those cities, the average home. Yeah, what they're selling for. It's it's not going to make sense to build a house there right uh, now. So what does that do? Yeah. You don't build houses. Absolutely so, not. So then supply is, is slowed down, right? Mm -hmm. We've already had lag supply because of the fear of 2008 and yep. more strict underwriting. Absolutely. And now we have a prohibitive cost to build with inflation rearing its head. So like, oh, dude, yeah. your house is valuable. It's sure. If you own a house, it's valuable. Like, yeah, and builders are scared, yeah. man. They're, I mean, they're building out in California, but not to the level they should be. Builders are still slow. They're really slow. And, and, it's it's, and it's, they're busy. There's so much construction on existing homes yeah. right now. Like, it's not even a problem that they can't do new builds because, like, contractors <laughs> they're are busy. busy. Anyway, right? <laughs> so, my thought is if you're in Texas, if you're in the right spots, like, I wouldn't be scared, right? Yeah. If you're, I live in, Westchester, uh, New York, and I would be a little nervous, or I feel like there might be some bubbleage. I don't know. If that's not a word, but whatever. Yeah, let's in go my with town, it. <laughs> in my town, because, like I said, the price per square foot between my house and a one bedroom or two bedroom apartment in Manhattan is getting closer together, or got closer together over mm. the last year. And to me, that indicates that some shift to demand going back to Manhattan is appropriate, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I might love my house in Pelham, and I do, but I'm not convinced it's as valuable as something in the West Village of New York City, sure. right? It's not, right? It's And it's not it's not that it is right now, but it's too close. So too I feel close. like there's got to be a shift back to um, some of these cities, as long as crime doesn't get out of control or anything like that. So Yeah, how has that been in New York? Has, has crime ticked up? you know, in Manhattan, NYC, or what have you seen there? I'll tell you, well, subway crime is, um, per capita is definitely on the rise. And, uh, oh my God. I, I'm a, I'm a big, um, like 1977 to 1981, New York city, like history buff. I love that stuff. Okay. And that was like a kind of a leading indicator to when New York had to, um, get, was asking to get bailed out and it really did need a bailout. Um, although it didn't get a full bailout from the government. That the subway is like a big indicator of the health and of the of New York City and crime. That's awesome. It, it's getting <laughs> it's getting worse. Whoa, um, wow! I was on the subway a couple weeks ago, and I mean, I used to take it every day. Sure. For work, I used to live in the city, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like <laughs> this this doesn't feel as safe, and there's been a lot of stabbings and stuff. So, um, I hope they get it fixed up. Um, 
because you know I don't want New York to go through another 10 year period of distress. I don't think it'll get that bad, but no. it definitely is a risk. Like if we don't pay attention to it, I think it will devolve. So I, I hope we can get it rectified. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I like how I really like your kind of story though of how you're not because the old model was look invest in your area, right? Invest where you live, and now it just feels like. With COVID, especially COVID, it's kind of ramped up this idea that you can invest in markets across the country, even across the globe. It's it's good to see your guys' model kind of adopt that strategy. I really like that. Yeah, it's it's you don't want to limit yourself, right? Um, it's it's easier, in my opinion, to get started in a town full of rentals like yeah. Lawton, Oklahoma, outside of a military base, than mm. it is to try to cash flow a house in Westchester. Right. I noticed like, you guys talked about that, like, because you talked about clean as well. So, do you gear more towards those military towns? Is that a strategy for you guys, or the the original vision for a company was um, military housing REIT? <laughs> that was the original. <laughs> was vision. it really? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's um, awesome. Because we thought, because because there's a lot of arguments for it. Like, what do REITs want? They want stable income. They want to be able to pay dividends. You know, blah blah blah. And where are you going like, to well, get that? <laughs> you, you have a government subsidized single family housing, right? Um, right in front of us, right? And and there's a lot of it. So in a normal city, about one thirds of the homes are single family rentals, and the rest are primary residents owned. But you go to a military town, and that equation is flipped, right? It's about two thirds. So there's a massive supply, and rents are somewhat stable. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, maybe one day we go back, back to that. But I think. The way the market's been with all the appreciation going on, it just didn't make sense to not play in the equity space, yeah, meaning yeah. like flipping houses in our example. Mm -hmm. So we were like, all right, like we're already so risk adverse. Like, let's not be babies, you know? <laughs> like, yep. Let's actually try to make some money. So we uh we took on a little bit more risk. Not that we take on a lot, but that approach of just like acquiring rentals, you know, um in military towns is is to me like that's that's a different approach. And I think um buying houses and trying to flip some made sense for us in 2020 and 21. Yeah, it makes sense. Is there anything, you know, as we wrap up, is there anything else you want to tell maybe a real estate or someone who's trying to get into real estate investing with limited capital? Capital. What's the strategy there that you'd recommend? I would say if you have no money, um, wholesaling is great because it gets you the reps at talking to people. Yep. Like there's a fear of negotiation and sales that is natural in everybody. And I think wholesaling will force you to get over that relatively quickly. Wholesaling is looked down upon, but I think the skills you learn are actually super valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I would tell them to do that. I would also say um, two ways to get into deals or do get deals done if you have no money. One is find the deal. So go back to my wholesaling comment and yep. then have someone bring the money, right? And you could do you could be 50-50 partners for that. If a deal is good enough, you could say, hey, like you bring all the cash and we split the profits even. Right, I've done that before. That's actually our first flip. That's how we did it. We well, people actually do that. Like an investor will split 50-50? Yeah, if the deal's good enough. Like if you get a badass deal and someone's gonna, like our first deal, we got it on seller financing. Mm. And we got a house for like 75 grand in Lawton. We have um, principal only payments on the note, right? Oh. So everything we pay goes to principals, no interest. Okay. And we fixed up the house. It, it air of eat at like 135. Like so, the reason it's worth 135 now. We put a tenant in there; they're paying 1050 a month, and we have no money in that deal. Our um, our uh, lender just was like, "Hey, let's just be 50 50 partners." They paid for the entire rehab, 
and we have no money in it. And we probably have like 15 grand of equity in the house right now. Oh, no, more. Yeah, yeah probably like actually 20, 25. That's awesome. And, we, and we're cash flowing. Our monthly payments on that are 255 and we're collecting 1,050 rent. So oh, we're both making plenty of money cash flow on one house. He's happy. He does no work. Like this dude does no work, right? Imagine making 300 bucks off of like 20 grand and getting all that equity. For nothing. You know? Not for nothing. doing shit. So it's a sweet deal for him. So if he was like, no, I don't want you guys to have 50%, I'd be like, okay, bye. I'm going to find somebody else because someone's going it. to do yeah. this, right? So my point is like, if the deal's good enough, I mean, shit, we could have probably had 60% of the deal and it still would have made sense for him. So find good deals and you don't need capital, right? That's one thing I would say. The other thing is... Um, Creative financing, like learning how to mm. acquire houses on seller financing, which yes. I just referenced, is a great skill. Yeah. And um, I think for sale by owners are a great opportunity for that. So if you had no money, I would say call the for sale by owner list in your town or however big of an area you need to get to get 200 of them and, and figure out how to offer them seller finance. And if you can lock up a deal, like you're going to do well. So that's it. Perfect. Well, Frank, that, that was well put. I appreciate your time on the podcast. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll get you and your partner on. I'd love to talk to both of you guys and hear his story as well. Dude, it was awesome. I had a lot of fun. I love your stuff. Um, last, I got to do a plug or else my partner's going to kill me. If, you, if you're interested in learning more about real estate, uh, VREI.co is our uh, newsletter okay. and podcast sign-up stuff. So Send um, that stuff it, all to me, man. Yeah. I will link it. I'm going to promote you guys uh, you know, on my podcast notes on Instagram when I put all this out. So hopefully I can get some traffic driving to you guys. Um, I appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah, man. Well, Frank, without further ado, I appreciate your time and we'll be in contact. And yeah, just when you get a chance, send me that stuff and I'll get this episode out um, probably in the next day or two. All right. Love it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You have a good one. Bye. You too. Thanks for tuning in on another episode at the Wall Street Junkie Podcast. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's content. Tune back in for some more.